if you were to ever um, give a, a taste of an, a meal that you're having or a drink that you're, you're drinking to myself or my wife, uh, you would definitely prefer to be giving uh, the taste to her uh, because she will have uh, what I think is just this impossibly small amount and yet somehow still manage to assess uh, the taste of the thing which she's ingesting. Uh, whereas I will take a far larger amount and you will end up with much less of whatever it is that you're sharing with me and that would be to your disadvantage, of course. Um, I say that because as I was preparing uh, for this message on the fear of the Lord, uh, it's one of those things which I think you could, um, without going over things too excessively, you could spend numerous messages on, uh, you could write wonderful books on, uh, which would be pure gold in every line. And so uh, in this, what, 15, 20, 25 minute, however long it lasts, uh, period of uh, preaching on the fear of the Lord, uh, I think at best you are getting a tracy taste uh, of what this subject is. Uh, nonetheless, I hope in line with my wife's skill of uh, culinary delight, um, I hope that you get an accurate taste, however small the, uh, the sample might be. Uh, but I want to read through, uh, there's a bunch of, uh, bunch of verses that I sent to the group chat, in fact, two weeks ago. Um, I'm not going to read through all of those, though certainly I would uh, recommend them to your reading. Uh, I want to read through uh, four uh, sections, I suppose, in particular. Um, and the, there's sort of two main points to the message. Uh, the first point will be based upon the first two sets of verses uh, and the, the latter point on the latter two. Uh, so they are firstly from Proverbs 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And subsequently, perhaps a page over in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Uh, subsequently, uh, turn to chapter 15, uh, verse 33. Sorry, chapter 15, verse 3. And in that place it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And chapter 20, verse 12. It says, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And in coming up with uh, some sort of a bite-size-ish uh, definition of how we would define the fear of the Lord, at least uh, and especially as how we would find it in, in Proverbs, uh, by way of metaphor, you could imagine that I, uh, I looked at all the verses on, on the fear of the Lord, uh, had them all, in fact, on this very page, uh, and sort of put them in a, a mixing pot and stirred them around. And then, you know, the, uh, the spoonful that came out was the sort of definition that I've come up with. Uh, see if you agree with the same. The fear of the Lord is the entrance into 
and continuing discovery of wisdom, insight, knowledge, righteousness, and life. These things also leading to the fear of the Lord. They cause a feedback loop on one another. It is the awareness of the Lord's knowledge of all things, seen and unseen, spoken and unspoken, and that not one thing will escape his judgment. Such knowledge rightly causes a fear and reverence toward this holy, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent God. And just in case you're not familiar with the terms, uh, all-knowing, everywhere, and all-powerful God, in whom is life. Knowledge of these characteristics also producing, once again, the fear of the Lord. And I won't read that again because I'll go through it a couple of times throughout the message. But uh, Also in my uh, research on trying to come up with uh, a definition, I suppose, I stumbled across a website called traditionalcatechism.com. Uh, as I researched a little more, I found that it was a, a Roman Catholic resource, but uh, I suppose this is an instance of a, a broken clock is right twice a day. Uh, it said, each of us will give an account of our lives to God, and he is fully aware of everything we think, desire, speak, and do. The fear of the Lord is an awareness of these truths, it can be defined as a continual awareness that you are in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God, and that every motive, thought, word, and action is open before him and will be judged by him. As we consider uh, the punchiness, I suppose, the, uh, the right fear that such statements ought to uh, produce, rightly considered, uh, I want to uh, be careful that we specify uh, at least in some measure, what this, who this God is that we are fearing. Because when we talk about the fear of the Lord, what we are not talking about is fear uh, of a, a God who will lash out at any moment as perhaps a, uh, a person who is unduly stirred up, who uh, has fits of rage. This is not who we are talking about. Uh, we are not talking about fear of a God who is out of control. This is not fear uh, of an irrational God. And even when God exercises his anger and wrath, he does it in a way which is right, good, within appropriate bounds. And this is not to say that uh, his anger and wrath is exercised lightly or that it is pleasant, uh, but nonetheless it is not fear of an irrational God, not fear of a God who is out of control. And so as I say, that definition I've sort of split into two chunks. Uh, the first chunk is this. The fear of the Lord is the entrance into and continuing discovery of wisdom, insight, knowledge, righteousness, and life. These things also leading to the fear of the Lord that cause a feedback loop on one another. During, uh, I think it might have even been the, the first message of this Proverbs series that, uh, that Tom in fact preached, uh, he he noted that the fear of the Lord, uh, as per Proverbs 1.7, is the, uh, the starting point for knowledge and what is also accumulated per chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, uh, what is accumulated as one pursues wisdom, understanding, uh, and insight. And after having stated that if a person seeks the aforementioned uh, in chapter 2, verse 5, it says that then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so we see that the, the fear of the Lord is the, the starting point for knowledge, 
Unless you start with that, you don't get knowledge at all. And the fear of the Lord and knowledge are what will be accumulated as we pursue wisdom, understanding and insight. Two further points, one of which I've uh, alluded to already. If you don't start with God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't start with God, you don't have anything. You have no wisdom, no insight, no knowledge, no righteousness, no morality. You have nothing. Uh, and I know I've, I've said it before, so I won't belabor the point too much. Uh, but I think we readily, we readily latch on to this concept when we consider the physical world. If we say if there were no God, there would be no physical creation, we go, yep, got it, tick the box, makes sense in my head. Uh, but consider also that in, in a hypothetical and impossible situation, suppose the world did exist, suppose we were all sitting here uh, considering life, the universe and everything, uh, and yet there was no God. There would be no such thing as wisdom, insight, knowledge and righteousness. No such thing as morality in this fictional universe. Unless you have a standard for all of those things, they don't exist. Even these non-material concepts do not exist in any real form unless you start with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is also the discovery engine of wisdom, insight, knowledge, and righteousness. Accumulation of those things, once again, producing the fear of the Lord. And the objection uh, might come, uh, perhaps even from yourself, the objection might come, uh, but everyone has a, a greater or a lesser degree uh, of these various things, or perhaps at least a, a basic understanding of morality. True, but once again, what is the source of all of those things. The source of all of those things is God. You don't get them outside of God. And as we realize who God is, how powerful, holy, perfect, eternal He is, we rightly fear Him and we go searching for the solution to our iniquity, to our shortcomings before Him. And as we realize our shortcomings in all of these areas and that we don't get any of these things without God, uh, what do we find? Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2. And so if you take God out of the picture, you have uh, no standard with which you can judge wisdom, insight, etc. And you also have no reason to pursue these things. Uh, and this, by way of application, is the I think where most of Australia finds themselves. Uh, most of Australia who uh, rejects God and yet nonetheless goes on for some odd reason, pursuing uh, reason and morality and knowledge and wisdom and progress. Why pursue these things in a world which, as Dawkins says, is blind and pitiless indifference? There's no reason to do so. There's no objective reality. There's no ultimate meaning to life. So why live as if these things exist? Because every person is made in the image of God. Every person knows this inherently, uh, yet they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. And so knowing who God is, even a little bit, uh, and who we are, causes us to fear God. Fear of God causes us to pursue a solution. 
The solution is wisdom, insight, knowledge, and righteousness, all of which are found in God. The only entrance into him is through repentance and faith. So for those in Christ, the fear of the Lord is a a life-giving fear. It is fear nonetheless, but it is a life-giving fear. The more we have these things, the more we realize our shortcomings of God and his standards, and hence the more we fear God, uh, we have this glorious uh, feedback loop start all, all over again. The fear of God produced, or the Lord, I should say, uh, produces Christ-likeness. And hence we see the fear of the Lord is certainly relevant uh, for the unbeliever who is under God's wrath. It is also relevant uh, for the believer who loves this God, who discovers more about him and is led to the fear of the Lord. The second point, the fear of the Lord is awareness of the Lord's knowledge of all things, seen and unseen, spoken and unspoken, and that no one will escape his judgment. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 94. And as you get there, uh, just by way of refreshing, the the verses which I'm thinking of as I uh, make this point are Proverbs 15.3, which says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And Proverbs 20.12, which says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. So in Psalm 94, in verses 5 to 11, uh, regarding the wicked, it says this, They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. There's a catechism which we use um, after dinner at our house. Uh, it's, uh, you can sort of think of it as the shorter, shorter Westminster shorter catechism uh, because it's kind of like a kid's version of the same. Uh, question 12 says, does God know all things? To which the answer comes, yes. Nothing can be hid from God. God knows all things. All things. And some, perhaps you've heard it said, uh, say words to the effect of, you know, God knows my heart. Sure, I, I can't achieve this, this wonderful standard or I can't uh, execute this task as I might like to, but God knows my heart. I'm really a, a good person or whatever the, the phrase might be. This is the same heart, uh, and I think I said maybe a fortnight ago, this is the same heart uh, which Jeremiah talks about, and he says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. God knows every thought of that heart. It is the same heart, the overflow from which the mouth speaks, and what evil things do we speak at times? And it is the heart that produces works in us, our best of which are as filthy rags before God, says Isaiah in his 64th chapter. And so it is surely a foolish thing to say, God will not see, God does not know, God knows the innermost beings of our heart. 
for the children. As Colin Buchanan says, God will be there. God will be there. God is everywhere. Context of the song is actually a bit more encouraging, but nonetheless, the fact is true. And even to unduly, and please hear that word, even to unduly presume or assume upon God's mercy is a notion worth trembling at. To presume endlessly upon God's mercy mercy with uh, thoughts to the effect of God is merciful and forgiving. I'll just do this, this little vice, this little sin one more time. God will forgive me. Is a notion worth trembling at, worth fearing the Lord upon. Because foundationally, this endless presumption upon God's mercy is similar to the notion that we see in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Just how forgiving is God, we might say to ourselves. Well, I'll sin just this one more time to see how forgiving he is. God will forgive me. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, so it says in Deuteronomy 6. Now, let me be very uh, clear that this is not at all to say that God does not abound in forgiveness. Uh, What I'm talking about is the heart attitude of one who would constantly presume upon God's mercy, constantly test God in his mercy. Uh, Of course, one who is truly saved has died to sin and is alive in Christ and is producing works in accordance with that life. Uh, We're talking about here rather uh, somebody who is not saved evidently, and so who goes on assuming upon God's mercy errantly and is perhaps under his wrath. Such thoughts should uh, cause us to turn away uh, from such a bad path, to repent, to rightly fear the Lord and enter into wisdom. And so to put it into a point, God knows all things and nothing can be hid from him. Fear him, flee evil, flee to his mercy and pursue righteousness. To conclude and probably slightly longer than I tend to conclude with. Uh, In the movie uh, The Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, uh, the main uh, baddie Davy Jones uh, at one stage walks about his ship. Uh, I can't remember what has happened immediately before but there must have been some sort of battle uh, of which there are sort of five or six survivors aboard his ship Uh, and he None of the men look particularly comfortable, but one of them in particular is, uh, is trembling and evidently quite in a lot of fear. Do you fear death, says Jones to this individual? Do you fear that dark abyss, all your deeds laid bare, all your sins punished? He says in a sort of weird Frenchy, Scottishy, American accent. The man admits his fear of death Uh, and ultimately takes up Jones' offer uh, of delaying the judgment by 100 years. Exactly how he goes about accomplishing this, I don't know, but put that to the side. 100 years or now, nonetheless, this man, as Tom said this morning, must face his own death. 100% of us will die. 10 out of 10, as um, the New Zealander evangelist says, great comfort. 10 out of 10 of us will die. But death only has fear because we must face a just God after death. Death in itself is not worth fearing. If we are to simply die and be buried six feet under, who cares? But the fact that we face a just God on the other side of death, that is the thing that is worth fearing. Hebrews 9, 27 to 28 notes that it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment. 
uh, in our own merit, uh, such a thing is surely most horrifying. Once again, drawing our minds to the fact that this is uh, the God that we face, the other side of death, is the God who knows all things, both the actions, uh, the inactions, the thoughts, the meditations of the heart, and everything must be measured up to his holy standard. So facing him in our own merit uh, is surely uh, a fearful thing. But these verses in Hebrews go on. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus dealt with all the sin of his people in his first coming. As he dies on the cross, he suffers under the the wrath, the holy hatred of God of sin. And he he suffers the the punishment for all of those who will put their trust in him. Our sin uh, and our judgment put upon him, subsequent that if we would repent and turn from our sin, his perfect righteousness would be put onto us. That fear of the Lord, uh, ultimately uh, precipitating that wonderful transaction of God's righteousness being put unto us, such that when we die, when we face that judgment after death, we face it clothed in Christ's righteousness, who not only didn't do the bad things, but did do all of the good things. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It produces such things as that. And so, friends, if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, you ought to have no fear of death. That first part, as it were, of the fear of the Lord uh, is taken care of in right relationship with Christ. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You should and you will, if you rightly exercise your faith, uh, still fear God, but this is not fear of his eternal judgment on you, uh, but rather of our, our knowledge, wisdom of his holiness, his justice, his total knowledge of all that we do, along with our inner motives, his, uh, his enormity, how other and perfect he is compared with us finite creatures. And so once again, to uh, quote as I finish the, the summary that I came up with, the fear of the Lord is the entrance into and continuing discovery of wisdom, insight, knowledge, righteousness, and life. These things also leading to the fear of the Lord. They cause a feedback loop of one another. It is the awareness of the Lord's knowledge of all things, seen and unseen, spoken and unspoken, and that not one thing will escape his judgment. Such knowledge rightly causes a fear and reverence toward this holy, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent God in whom is life. Knowledge of these characteristics also producing uh, the fear of the Lord.